When I found out I was gonna be a parent, I immediately felt a lot of anxiety and worry. So I went on to BetterHelp to try to look for a therapist to help me with that. My relationship with my family and with my boyfriend and with myself were suffering. I really needed help. I was ruminating a lot. Really getting those thoughts out to a therapist and getting feedback was just life-changing. If you're thinking of giving therapy a try, learn more at betterhelp.com. That's betterhelp.com. On this episode of Plant Killers, we'll explore one nation's most notorious fruit and vegetable killer, bad dirt. What makes bad dirt so bad? The answer, the ingredients. But fear not, true crime enthusiasts. This story has a happy ending. New miracle Grow organic raised bed in garden soil. It's made with quality organic ingredients from upcycled green waste like compost and aged bark. Unlike the other guys who can't say the same. Looks like bad dirt's murdering days are over. Thanks to miracle Grow. Join us next time on Plant Killers. And we are back with an all-new episode of Keep It. I'm Ira Madison III. I'm Louis Fertal. And can you hear those losing horns? Bob Barker has passed away at the age of 99. So he parted ways with Scooter Braun as well. That's right. (laughs) He said... On my 100th birthday, I will not let that bastard have any more of my masters. <laughs> Price is right, Bob's version. <laughs> the theme plays. All of that's going to drop this fall, every single episode. He's going to have scooter spayed and neutered, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. <laughs> um. Wow, it was, you know what's very, I'm going to jump into this first. What is very weird about... Bob Barker dying was, did you see that it immediately spurred conspiracy theories? No, I did not. I mean, there he's are, extremely old and I, you know, I assume yes. it's an old age thing, so. Well, there are TikToks for people who believe it in their heart that Bob Barker died years ago. Oh, well, it's, and, it's sort of a Mandela effect thing. I, I, I understand yeah. being confused that he hadn't already died because we hadn't heard from him in so long. But, um, you know, mm. it's not like he had moved on to other projects. He's like a Johnny Carson type. He was a legend and then stopped. Yeah. It was tied also to this old article from like a year or so ago. I believe it's called like an Action News some website. So it's clearly some fake news website or something that says he died at 94 by like falling at work and his head split open. And I'm like, we would know this if it had happened. Yeah, that's fa- that would be a famous celebrity death in that case. Right. <laughs> Uh, anyway, I love that Americans are dumb, right. but also that feels so that feels so vintage conspiracy theory from like the era of when we would watch Prices Right as kids on TV, right? Where you hear a weird story about a celebrity, and you have no way of knowing if it's true or not, and you have no idea why it originated or anything either. So you just assume it's true if it got to you in Wichita, Kansas, or whatever. Um, but yeah, mm. we only recently were talking about the prices right because I was saying that shows like Survivor and Project Runway are kind of the new comfort viewing in the way that the prices right once was because they're these venerable formats that we keep returning to because the action is so good and it's so calming. Like you get to see you know, a familiar host and then the familiar catchphrases and the, and, and that's just like old game shows. Um, but the price is right. I mean, at this point, I think eventually Alex Trebek did host more hours or episodes of Jeopardy than Bob Barker did. But Jesus Christ, when you were sick at home, as everybody has pointed out on the internet, you would be watching this man. And for some reason 
you would find learning the price of Jiffy Pop popcorn or Crisco <laughs> super engrossing. You would have to watch this full hour, an hour of a syndicated game show every time. It's just like there is something about the the visual stimuli of that show, the the sound effects, the games, the way people would scream when Plinko would come on or the mountain climber game. And then also, as my brother Greg pointed out when we were watching vintage episodes of Prices Right not long ago, he goes, I think the magic of Bob Barker is the quality of his voice. There is something so deep mm. and rich and kind of like Boris Karloffy and like uh, avuncular, but also paternal. There's like a paternal quality. Like everybody else in the studio, studio would be screaming, but then he would bring it down with just that kind of rich, controlled voice. Dick Clark had a similar quality. Like people people could be screaming and with that like radio instinct he had, he could bring people down to a calm, like controlling the dynamic at all times. He was also very lightly shady, I would yes. feel like. Not shady, but I just feel like there was always this air of particularly there are clips going around now of a woman struggling to figure out the price of a car. Yes. Joy. Uh, and she got it at yes. the last yeah, she got it the last minute. And then he sits down and he's sort of like, oh, brother. Yeah. And it was just sort of this like, oh, brother quality he had a lot of the times when someone said something completely stupid. Yes. Like you said, you know, peanut butter or something. People guessing $10 for peanut butter. Yeah. And it's, it, it was very funny seeing people try to figure out items that you should maybe know. I mean, I feel like. Everyone in my family, we would get invested. You get invested shouting, no, it costs this much. It costs this much. Like, I remember watching that show as a kid and just the fervor that you had during, you know, the showcase showdown. Right. Oh, absolutely. Also, you know, a, a host who has that quality now, Steve Harvey is very good at, you know, some a contestant says something ridiculous and then he deadpans to the camera or like, you know, rolls his eyes to the side or something. There is something about that dynamic that's extremely watchable and extremely. Um, but it makes fun. them comfortable. Yes, too. right. It's not in a. It's not in a degrading sort of weakest link way. Yeah, it's a. It's very. We're all having fun, and this is part of a bit, and the audience gets really into it. Yeah, I truly can't even figure out my favorite. Price is right game or moment with Bob Barker over there. He was also a fixture in other game shows. You would see him on like the match game mm -hmm. and stuff. He was like a, a, set, a, and also by the way, he started on the prices, right? In uh, 1972 when he was about to turn 50 years old. So as long as he has done that job, he has felt like a legend, you know, there's never a moment when you saw an amateur up on that stage. And of course, before that he hosted truth or consequences for more than a decade. So he had a lot of experience mm. going into that moment. I do want to point out though, I am a little surprised People aren't talking about the dubious part of his legacy, which involves Barker's beauties on that show. Um, mm. Diane Parkinson, with whom he claims he had a um, consensual, consensual relationship, she sued him for sexual harassment. And then after that, Holly Hallstrom, who was a model on that show, uh, she says she was pressured into going on to other talk shows and saying that Diane was basically a liar. And after that, she was, quote unquote, unceremoniously let go from the show. Um, and then she fought him in court for a full decade, lived out of her car during that time, and eventually got a million-dollar settlement. Um, and she said herself, she called uh, uh, Holly never had any kids and was never married, so she had the space to be able to fight him and didn't need money, uh, her own money, to pay for other people. And she said, I'm not going to let that evil old bastard win. 
So just to let you know, there okay. might be some problems with misogyny in Bob's past. Also, a bit of an egotist. On his door in his dressing room, he had a sign that said WGMC, which stands for World's Greatest MC. You know, when you need to see that every day, mm. maybe there's an ego at play. I don't know. But um, yeah, I feel like if you are touting the world's greatest at anything, it needs to come from a shitty mug that your kid made you at school. <laughs> yes, right, right, right. You know, but the okay. P.T. Barnum vibes are particular. And, you know, he wasn't great, you know, with the employees sometimes. So, I mean, listen, that I hate that my mind goes immediately to like that has the makings of an excellent Aaron Brockovich-esque film. Right. Oh, please. Yes. I mean, what the, the, the role of a lifetime to play Bob. I will say Janice Pennington, who was the longest serving, longest serving, Barker's Beauty, who was there for 30 years. She also was let go in a sort of dubious way. But then when Bob died, mm. I saw her give an interview where she said he was, quote unquote, the best. So I don't know. Maybe some of this is water under the bridge. Haven't solved a lot of this. But um. Uh, I am. Yeah, they ended the models around like 2007. They there there but, are still models, but they added like male models. Um, actually, mm. Drew Carey to me seems like a pretty rad person, and also he's been buying a lot of shit for the writers on the line and stuff. So I'm psyched for him. That's right. I do know that they added male models because um, an actor, Robert Scott Wilson, who is currently well. He was Ben Weston on Days of Our Lives, and then, you know, now he's playing a different character on the show, Alex Kiriakis. It's a whole thing. But he was cast on All My Children after being one of the first male models on, you know, Price is Right. Shirtless on the Price of Right, hawking dinette sets. Right, right. I have to admire how he, I think he's the male model I'm thinking of. Like the way women point at stuff when they're modeling, you know, with like like kind of mm-hmm. limp Vanna White wrist or whatever. Like a man, you know, a man has to come up with his own version of it. And he was doing kind of mask broy pointing at things. Nice conversion. Mm-hmm. Nice conversion. <laughs> you know, maybe that is the sign that Bob Barker wasn't completely a perfect person. Because how do you, how do you not have any sort of men doing the show before? I feel like. Give a little something to the gay people at home and the women. Yeah, actually, the audience must have been largely women. So the idea of women having to watch Barker's Beauties every day while you're a housewife is very, uh, you know, it's almost like psychological warfare because (laughs) the hour of The Price is Right is directly before you start hearing Nadia's theme come in and then you see The Young and the Restless. That's all. That was my entire Saturday Sorry, that was my entire weekday, by the way, when I was homesick. Price is Right, Young and the Restless, Bold and the Beautiful, oh, yeah. Guiding Light, As the World Turns. That was, that was, a, that was a marathon and uh, not a sprint. No, when I, th- <laughs> when I think about The Price is Right, I think about watching it with my uh, dearly departed late Aunt Sandy, who would smoke Winston's. And we'd watch the episode. And basically, <laughs> the reason I'm a huge game show fan is because I would watch syndicated game shows during the day at her house. And then mm-hmm. uh, she would watch soaps for seemingly 14 hours. And <laughs> I remember watching The Price is Right. She never said much during the episode. But because of Bob Barker, that was the first time I ever heard the phrase male chauvinist pig. So I have to thank my Aunt Sandy for that. Wow. <laughs> because, okay. by the way, the stuff with the models was was huge tabloid fare at the time. So mm-hmm. like you couldn't yeah. avoid it anyway. Uh, well, I guess women back then picked up what he was putting down. Right. So, 
Yeah. Come uh, on down <laughs> to a misogynist reality. Yeah. Oh, that was a good pun. Thank you. You know, as as as, as good as your viral tweet yeah. too. You oh know? yeah. Oh yeah. I did have a viral tweet about Bob Barker. Actually, I'm just going to read it to you because obviously it's perfectly worded. Hold on one second. Uh, <laughs> uh, the tweet world's was greatest, <laughs> world's greatest Bob Barker tweet. Uh, the tweet was: <laughs> I cannot believe Bob Barker lived as close to 100 as possible without going over. Now, let me tell you something. Other people also came up with a similar joke. Uh, I, I think like the timestamps are like minutes apart or whatever. I'm not surprised. I am surprised more people didn't come up with it because literally every picture of Bob Barker has the one zero zero behind him on the wheel. So it should have been easy math for mm. everybody. I actually am mad at the internet for not doing doing the same thing I did. I feel like I've seen it in a few articles about it. Right. Oh, no. I'm sure like People Magazine uh, put right click embed tweet into the article. I love how you can just do that in journalism now. <laughs> not on Substack. <laughs> You're right. Elon Musk hates Substack. I have not been able to put a single tweet in any of my newsletters. Can so. you put videos in newsletters? Like YouTube videos embedded? I feel like maybe you can use YouTube. Okay. Still. I got to double check. That would make me want to start a Substack. Sub like, oh, let's talk about, you know, the 40-minute the video shows. for Smooth Criminal. Whatever. Yeah. People would, people would, I think people would love a Louis Vertel newsletter about game shows. I simply have got to get the nerve to write more than a tweet's length of material. Uh, once you get into the joke writing business, did you know that jokes are short? That means you don't have to write things like prose or complete thoughts or paragraphs. And I've got to tell you, it slays. Well, I mean, of course, you know, I think William Shakespeare first said that when yes. he opened at the Comedy Cellar. Yeah. Uh, Punchlines <laughs> are the soul of wit. That's right. He's also paraphrasing Dorothy Parker, which is so weird of him. Uh, okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Hundreds of years after his time. Okay, great. Yeah. <laughs> so we have got a fun show this week. Uh, first off, we have Cody Rigsby here with us. A complete uh, doll. Reporting live from Fire Island, where I assume he does his best work. Just like me from last week. I feel like we have had more Fire Island recorded episodes than any other pop culture podcast. I know I did one there. And I remember I had a roommate at the time who was, shall we say, getting busy on the porch. And I had to close the blinds so the producers didn't see. I <laughs> was near. You know, I like to keep my job here. You know what I'm saying? It got. It was a dicey situation. Last week when I was recording, someone was arriving to meet one of my housemates. And... They were passing by while I was recording, and part of me, and this is my ego here, was hoping that they listened to this show, uh -huh. because wouldn't, wouldn't that be entertaining to know that this one timestamp in an episode, you were going to get fucked in a room. Right. Yeah. And then it'd be immortalized in podcast history, where these episodes are irrelevant almost immediately after they come out. So that shelf life would have been short, but you know what I'm saying. Uh, yeah. Excuse me. I've gotten many emails from someone who says that they're at the Smithsonian oh. and want to put um, our <laughs> podcast in it. Strange. Can't imagine <laughs> just how that would work visually. I I just have to forward them my uh, social security number and $5,000, oh. <laughs> but I believe it is on the up and up. Oh, sure. You have to send a little something to Nigeria. Yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> so we're also going to talk about the new movie Bottoms yep. this week, which is out. We both saw it. We'll give you our little review of it. And because Cody is here, we're going to talk about celebrity workout fads. What could be better? What could be more um, 
pop cultural, you know, celebrities who are like, have something to teach us about living our best lives. And it usually involves- How to look hot. Yeah, so yeah, being hot, yeah. <laughs> we can do it too. So we'll be right back with more Keep It. The best of the best is officially on sale. The Crooked Store's Labor Day weekend sale just started, and now is the perfect time to snag that merch you've been eyeing. Everything in the store is 15% off, and a bunch of new stuff was just added to the sales section. Personally, I'm going to take this opportunity to buy a friend of the pod onesie for my friend's baby so that I can indoctrinate them early. Shop the sale at crooked.com store. Well, it's the end of August, and a little movie that could is in theaters, making a shit ton of money for only being on, like, I feel like 10 theaters across America so far. Uh, It is the new queer teen high school fight club film, Bottoms. You'll be mistaken if you thought it was a documentary about gay men. <laughs> well, I mean, you would kind of think that. It's interesting why it's called yeah. Bottoms, because they refer to themselves as Bottoms, like, on the social ladder in high school. But you, you sort yeah. of need, you need a cut, you need to, like, process that before you realize what you're actually, why they're calling it that. Emma Seligman and Rachel Sennett, who wrote it together, and Emma directed it uh, as a follow-up to her film, Shiva Baby, they knew what they were doing. Yeah, right. They were like, okay, queer. we want queer blogs to report on this. Let's call it Bottoms. Yeah. I, I respect it. I respect it. Mm. Now, my question is, Lewis, yeah. did you like it? No. Did you like it? I loved it. Oh, interesting. I fucking loved this movie. I can tell you weren't going to like it. Iowa Beery, <laughs> great actress. Of course, love her mm-hmm. on the bear. I just feel like the two main characters of this movie are still are doing the thing that I it's my pet peeve in in, in mm. any comedy, which is their whole personality is awkward. Like, because they're mm. awkward, we, the audience, find them relatable. Let me tell you something. If you are awkward, I don't find you relatable. You should not be awkward. <laughs> Part of being an adult is not being awkward. It's fun to talk to other people. It's fun to socialize. Stop. Like, it's like a form of narcissism to be like, uh, uh, me? You're talking to me? It's just, it, 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 I, I don't like it. I don't like that vibe. I don't find it funny. Um, that they are said, teenagers. Yes. That said, good performances from the both of them. Enjoyed the performances. Okay. G- good performer. Young performer. <laughs> okay. Come on. Come on, Aretha. <laughs> I really enjoyed it. And I feel like the, and I feel like when I was watching it, I could sort of sense my, my spidey senses were tingling. Yeah. And telling me that this wasn't particularly a Lewis film, if only because at first it seemed darker, almost as if it was heading towards Heather's territory. Or something. It's been compared to Mean Girls quite a bit, but I would still say that it is edgier than Mean Girls. I would say that it sort of feels in the line of Easy A-ish or Anchorman, very untethered to reality in its comedy and very specific with it being satire, which unspools. And then by the end of the film, it's almost cartoonish with its sort of no plot point really needs to make sense in it. We've sort of got a plot. We're going forward with it. And everything is occurring in the final act. Me personally, I could not stop fucking laughing the entire film. Granted, I was on a 15 edible. Okay. So, you know, I was, I was, I primed the pump. 
You know to, what? You rarely hear Siskel say, um, I was high as fuck when I watched my dinner with Andre, by the way. <laughs> Glad to have this new point of view here. Um, yeah, yeah. I, I think also, do you know what? I mean, it reminded me tonally of Pitch Perfect, which is to say mm-hmm. it's the friendships angle of it. I found kind of grounded and, and uh, cool and like it felt like everybody... Uh, had like a reasonable and real dynamic, but I felt like it was too mm-hmm. often trying to be outrageous and instead coming up with garish and loud, you know, like mm. just like, I, I guess it's just, do you think it was funny or not? That's what I'm saying. And I, it mostly came up for me as ew, like, not that funny. Mm. I found it funny. I feel like it used the fight club element as a sort of commentary on violence against men and women. I felt Like the darkest moments were obviously talking about sexual assault, feminism in the film, and talking about queerness. I thought that those moments really hit. It was nice to see moments like those in a film that felt at least like they were trying to punch up or Mm -hmm. trying to make something that seemed, you know, sort of an edgy joke, a joke that might seem uncomfortable at first, but then it is. Very funny. It did lean a lot into uncomfortable jokes. Uh, it's like sort of you can't do you can't say that on television, uh-huh. uh, sort of thing. Uh, but for the most part, I think they really land it with me. There's a great joke about a black Republican in it that I laughed out loud at. Also, she gives a good performance. I enjoyed her. That actress, Zamani Wilder, was hilarious. I will also say that. Our recent Keep It guest, Punky Johnson, has one scene in the film, and she stole that fucking scene. It's a really funny scene. Really see it. And this is coming from the LeBron James School of Acting, because I did not know Marshawn Lynch was so fucking funny. That was a good performance also. Actually, you know who my favorite one in the movie was? Kaya Gerber. Kaya Gerber! She's given one sort of deadpan assignment where she responds like exactly, this is who she sounds like, Tiffany from Daria, who's in the fashion yeah. club and who's like, everything's like this. She does that. and uh, But it lands every time and the look on her face is so funny. And of course she looks exactly like Cindy Crawford. So there's some retro fun there. But uh, I was definitely getting the Daria um, fashion club vibes from her. She was so... For a minute, it took me a second to place her. Then I'm like, oh, she looks like fucking Sidney Crawford. Of course, this is her daughter. Um, She's so funny in it. I thought she was really, really good. I also liked Havana Rose. Another good performance. Who who smiles to me reminds me of Amy Irving, which immediately puts me at ease. You know, puts me right back into Yentl where I belong. I would say that if it's a film that you don't love and didn't find particularly funny, everyone in the film is great. Seemingly having a good time too. It introduces you to a bunch of new talent too. So I think it's just instructional in that way also. But um, I will say, I I do appreciate that there's a queer movie just about, um, you know, young women being horny and nefarious. I mean, truly, it's a movie Mm. about setting up, how do I have sex? I'm going to use dubious ways to get it. And, you know, there's some comeuppance in the end. Obviously, you know, like Dear Evan Hansen, their sociopath ways are eventually <laughs> warmed over into a lovely ending. That's something I appreciate in theory more than I appreciate the hilarity thereof. See, that just reminds me that I wish Dear Evan Hansen was a queer film because if it's he was not. doing all of that to get a guy, right. if he was doing all of that to get a guy, it would make the movie at least 50% more interesting. Right. No, that's there are several movies or plays, whatever, that feel like 
they are gay. But it turns out there's nothing gay about them. I always bring up the movie Metropolitan, the Silman movie from 1990. I literally, I'm like, oh, my gay friends and I would watch that movie all the time. There is nothing gay in this movie. It's so strange. Dear Evan Hansen, that's no, that's a gay actor, not a gay role. Yeah, and dear, and Evan Hansen is just a weirdo, yes. not a homosexual. Right, which, you know, the Venn diagram uh, is like a perfect circle, unfortunately. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I would also say that it is a film that works better, even though I did say that, you know, the manipulation in Dear Evan Hansen would be more interesting if he were queer. This particular movie, creating this fight club to sleep with these girls, also felt like a fun throwback to an 80s 90s sex comedy mm-hmm. and i feel like it goes down easier with women in this film i think the throwback quality actually did bother me though because once we met the awkward protagonist i had the thought let me guess everybody else in this high school movie is a broad high school stereotype and it made me mm-hmm. think like that's a satire we've seen before like the jock who's a complete idiot you know the the cheerleaders who are you know um, bimbo-esque, whatever. Like, I just feel mm. like we had seen that before. And so if you find a throwback vibe to that, I mean, uh, there's throwback and then there's cliche. And I felt like we got more cliche in that instance. I will say that it was fun to see Nicholas Galitzine oh, right. in Bottoms just a couple weeks after seeing him in Red, White, and Royal Blue, seeing that he can play two different sides on film. Because he does not remind me of that other performance at all. Like, actually, it's a good testament to his versatility, LOL gay people, um, that he gave both those performances. I will say, you mentioned the characters who were sort of, felt like they were cliches, felt like they were, you know, just a throwback to something we had seen before. I wish we had seen more of the really villainous football player, Miles Fowler. Oh, yes. I think was great, and I think that he really sort of leaned into the sort of the movie felt more like a Heather's when he was on screen. Right. No, because he was very like uh, 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 playing with his must sinister. Yeah, a, sin- a sinister, a, you know, a Vincent Price character or something, just like a, a villain and loving it kind of performance. Yeah, he was he was really good in it too. Actually, it's been a pretty good summer for like gay fare. Like you've had lots of options, and it's it's been zany and sometimes emotional and sometimes romantic. We talked about that Ben Wishaw movie, Passages. I mean, there's like plenty of options this summer. And it's nice to see a queer film with women in it. Just ever. Yeah. Has well, it's nice to see them with cell phones. <laughs> right. Yeah. Cause cause every time we get a queer woman film, there's always there's always the bodice ripping. There's always, we're walking through this dark house by candlelight. Yes. There's always a horse in a carriage. Somebody dying by throwing themselves in the ocean in 1901. Yes. Queer women who seemingly do not exist past 1910 yes. in cinema. So this was very nice to watch. And the audience fucking loved it. But of course, I watched it with, it's playing on, I believe, one or two screens in new york at the moment so it was nice to see the film with the audience it was intended for obviously because they all showed out for it just you know every queer person who lives in the flatbush vicinity right yes 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 um i will say my favorite queer lady film of the past 10 years still carol still no competitors to carol so i mean like I think that's a bar that everybody should aspire to, and I welcome everyone to make. 
So, <laughs> yes. Also, but written by a lesbian woman or adapted by a lesbian so, lesbian woman. Who tried to destroy the WGA a few years ago. True. Wait, by the way, do you know a movie I watched <laughs> over the weekend that I had never seen before? Primary Colors. Did you know that in that movie, Kathy Bates goes, I'm a gay lesbian woman. I just want you to know that that's on the record. I'm a gay lesbian woman. By the way, good performance from Kathy Bates. She was nominated. Yeah. I actually don't believe I've seen Primary Colors. Is that... The Bill Clinton Romana is that play? Yeah. Uh, no, it's not. That's the American president. Elaine May wrote the script for this and was nominated for it. Okay. The American president's surprisingly very underrated. Oh, yeah. Very good. That might be my favorite Sorkin thing, period. Besides the Alec Baldwin speech in Malice. I think it sort of gets lost beneath the West Wing of it all. That was sort of a springboard for that. Yeah. Yeah. It's like in the loop as compared to Veep. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I should watch Primary Colors. Yeah. Actually. Who else is in that? Is that Travolta? Yes. John Travolta plays the Bill Clinton E okay. character. And you can tell he is going for Bill Clinton. Ain't no doubt about that. that. What's interesting is Emma Thompson plays his wife and she does not remind me of Hillary Clinton in it. I don't think it's really about Hillary Clinton ultimately. <laughs> well, you know, um, both married to captive women. Yes, sorry. Right. Both married to captivating women. Certainly, certainly. John Travolta <laughs> and Bill Clinton. Yes. <laughs> may she rest, Kelly Preston. Yeah, and may she rest from having to be on morning shows talking about Trump for the rest of her life, Hillary Clinton. <laughs> yes. Oh, that's tough. That's tough. That's a new. Sp- I'm sorry. That's a that's a new special. Hell, I feel like I went through the typical liberal thing of. I'm tired of seeing Hillary Clinton everywhere enough. And then it went to, I'm not tired of her. I'm tired of every white gay who's obsessed with Hillary Clinton posting a meme of her laughing every time something happens to Trump to now it's turned around to, I'm worried if she is trapped in starts, no exit. Like, like <laughs> let, let her rest. Yeah, right. Let her rest. She's going to be talking about that man for the rest of her life. People will be talking about Donald Trump in her obituary, probably. Certainly. And also, by the way, she already wrote the fucking book on it, which I've already congratulated the title of 10,000 times, What Happened. If I did it? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Where was she on that night? I want to know. <laughs> there was a, there the was White the House. Tarantino. She was in the White House, anyway. Yeah. The, the Tarantino-esque film where, it's, where it presupposes just a, it just has ten different celebrity options of who else could have murdered uh, Nicole. Right, and you think Hillary's one of them? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, she's one of them. All right. I was reading about it online. Uh, there was this thread. You know, I think it's it's um, on this website, 4chan. Oh yeah. <laughs> uh, and it, yeah, and it says News. that yes. there were there were helicopters heard that night in L.A. and some people believe it was the Air Force One. Oh, I- copter. <laughs> The, the Air, Air Force, Force One, One helicopter. helicopter. Yes. Yeah, because they also have which, a helicopter. Which they're always in. in, if you know Hillary. She's like, I'll take the copter. Thanks. <laughs> don't move me in the plane. <laughs> take me in the copter. I don't even need to close the door. It's fine. Drop me off in LA. <laughs> All right, when well, we are back, we will be joined by Cody Rigsby. Escape to Ocean City, Maryland, and discover a place that just feels lighter, where every day feels like Saturday and French fries are a food group, where flip-flops are always in fashion and seafood is always in season, where the boardwalk is bustling 
and the beach is right outside your door, where you can rise with the tide and feel like a kid again. Ocean City, Maryland, somewhere to smile about. Book your trip at Oceocean.com. On this episode of Plant Killers, we'll explore one nation's most notorious fruit and vegetable killer, bad dirt. What makes bad dirt so bad? The answer, the ingredients. But fear not, true crime enthusiasts. This story has a happy ending. New miracle Grow organic raised bed in garden soil. It's made with quality organic ingredients from upcycled green waste like compost and aged bark. Unlike the other guys who can't say the same. Looks like bad dirt's murdering days are over. Thanks to miracle Grow. Join us next time on Plant Killers. For over 130 years, McCormick has helped you make mom's lasagna to keep her secret recipe alive. Take over taco night, no matter how chaotic your day is. Conquer the bake sale, even if you get to it last minute. And craft the perfect Sunday brunch when it's not even Sunday. Because with McCormick by your side, it's going to be great. Our guest today has many titles. That means a lot of jobs. He owns businesses. Uh, he's known as a dancer, fitness instructor, influencer, comedian, leader of the Boo Crew. He's now adding author to that resume with the release of his first book, XOXO Cody, an opinionated homosexual's guide to self-love, relationships, and tactful pettiness. And now he's here on Keep It with two homosexuals who have never expressed an opinion before. I'm, I'm such sure. a coquette. I can't uh, wait to express my first opinion. <laughs> Please welcome Cody Rigsby. Hi, boys. How are we doing today? We're good. How are you? I'm, I'm great. I mean, I'm like coming out of a, a, a very rambunctious weekend, which included tea yesterday. So, you know, it's been a three-day weekend for me. So I'm, I'm, I'm finding it. I'm finding my light. No, you're currently entrenched on Fire Island, we should establish. Yes. And uh, yes. that's where tea occurs. It's this uh, the, the big meeting time at like 5 p.m. At, uh, on Fire Island where everybody, you know, has something to drink. Uh, but you like spend a lot of time on Fire Island there. Is it a haven for you? For sure. I mean, I'm usually out here like every other weekend and it's it's nice. It's always a choose your own adventure. It's like, what do you want? Do you want to be a party girl? Do you want to be a home and like cooking girl? Do you want a beach girl? Like sometimes you get it all. Sometimes you you do one or the other. Yeah. It's like you're a new line of like a Mattel toy, you know, like exactly. Beach Cody. It, uh, yes. <laughs> um, I've been to your Fire Island home, which I think is gorgeous. And I want to ask you. about... So what went into you being like, I love this island enough that I'm getting a place here and I also want to renovate it? <laughs> um, I, I feel like I came here 10 years ago for the first time as a day tripper with my bag, put my bag down at someone's house and like couldn't tell you who it was, where it was. <laughs> um, and I just have always thought it's like fun and magical and there's so much like queer history here and it's just like such a safe haven for us to be whoever and whatever we want to be. And I've just been coming out here over the years and I've just wanted my little slice of heaven. And, you know, all these houses out here are as old as, as fuck. So, you know, it, it's a nice uh, DIY, do it, DIY little project and making it my, my own. So, yeah. 
you're right about queer history in a number of ways. I was like walking down the boardwalk once and a friend of mine greeted me and then he goes, oh, by the way, meet my friend. And his friend was Stephen Schwartz, who's written like Wicked and, uh, you know, Godspell and stuff. And I can't just talk about Gilda Radner and the Toronto Godspell to just anybody. So it's a very magical (laughs) island. You're in the right place. Now, I have to ask you, I mean, of course, we we know you from your uh, famous bike riding Pelotani videos where you're fabulous. You are among the most gregarious people I've ever seen. So I can only assume that writing a book for you about yourself and your opinions would be easier than the average person. But how was the book writing process? Was it difficult? Did it come to you naturally or what? Um, yeah, I mean, I've been getting in trouble since like fifth grade for talking too much in class. So yeah. it's very easy to just talk and talk and talk and talk. Uh, the process was actually like really therapeutic, really fun. I feel like I've said this in other interviews. I don't, we like think of our our lives, I don't think we go back in such detail to be like, oh, like what happened here? And so fun, like little memories pop up where you forget little details and then you have a nice little laugh. And then you also get to like the traumatic parts of your life. And I think you realize on the other end of it, like you've gotten through it, you figured it out, you've let it go and you're in a, a much better place. So it almost felt like uh, therapy on roids. Mm. Well, I mean, you know, um, Florida um, school system aside, books <laughs> tend to be permanent. Yes. Uh, you know, um, where you might, put it something get in it. It might get banned. It just, you know, <laughs> I don't know if we'll be able That'd to be go great to Florida. For you. That'd be yeah. great for you, to be honest. Who oh, doesn't want to ban books? Great, great press, honestly. Yeah. Um, but books are permanent, you know? Like, you mm-hmm. put your trauma into it. You put stories about yourself that might not make you come out in the best light. And they're just sort of there forever. Did you have any reticence about including any portion of the book or, you know, your persona just generally, you know, is very open, you know, did you feel like you're not going to alienate anybody? No, I mean, I, I'm pretty much an open book. If you've taken my class, I talk like, about everything and anything from silly to sex to, you know, traumatic stuff about my life. So I didn't really feel like I had to hold, hold back. There's nothing that I like regret about it. Um, I feel like if it's about part of this book is about self-love and my own journey with that, I feel like you can't preach about self-love if you're not willing to open up about the, the hard things about your life, the things that you might have shame or guilt about um, because as Beyonce says, we need people to love us flaws and all. And I had to like put that in. So people will love themselves for their messiness too. Now people often claim that Taylor Swift is the ultimate, um, parasocial relationship with her fans as in, you know, that people, people relate to her in a very extreme way. I have Uh to disagree. I believe you are the ultimate parasocial celebrity. People tune in to be your friend every day and get your energy and so mm-hmm. I assume when you're out in public, people approach to you. We were talking about Bob Barker today, like a like a constant episode of The Price is Right is occurring, like just screaming Beatlemania like reactions to you where, wherever you go. Is it daunting to be that, quote unquote, relatable to people? Uh, a, I mean, a little bit. I, I always say this, like, I feel like I'm Mickey Mouse sometimes where I'm just like at a moment's notice, I have to like, take the picture and, and give the full Peloton magic <laughs> to what people think about. Um, but, you know... I, I feel like I get to live my life in a very like fairly normal way and just know that that's part of the part of the process. But you got to think about it. Like 
it feels like a one-on-one experience when you're taking a class from, from your home, you're working on like fitness goals or mental health goals. So there's that, that attachment to it. And then, you know, like, I don't know where I'm sharing a lot of my story and people, people re- relate to it. So usually I do hear that, but a lot of the times it's like, Oh, my, my sister or my boss or my mom really loves you. Can I take a picture and send it to her? Yeah. Yeah. That happens a lot. That happens <laughs> a, lot. a lot. I was at the movies last night and someone was like, my wife, big fan of the podcast. Let's take a photo. And I was like, all right. Okay. Uh, I'm sure you're, I'm sure your wife will get some sort of like yes. connection to this. Uh, maybe it's for you. But I have to ask too, you know, the people who listen to you, the people who watch you ride with you, you know, obviously, you know, you're a fitness instructor and that, you know, you're Peloton, you know, king here. Mm -hmm. But, you know, like, do you find that people then sort of like are expecting also like, let me ask Cody, like, um, what my new like workout routine should be? What should my like diet plan be? Do people try to see you as sort of like your, you know you're Billy Blanks, you know, like you, like you're, I want a whole routine from you. Uh, you know, I feel like that question only comes up with like most people who like don't know who I am and they like find out I'm an instructor mm-hmm. and I'm just like, babe, you don't want to ask me about your diet. Like go ask a nutrition about this. Like I have a, I have a, a horrible, like not refined diet. Like I love Cheetos and ice cream and whatever, whatever. Um, and I'm clocked out. I'm clocked out. I'm not going to give you, I'm not going to give you a fitness routine. Go, go find a personal trainer or jump on the Peloton. That's what it's for. Go find a personal trainer. You scream at them. That's so exciting. (laughs) Your approach to celebrity. I have to say I admire. (laughs) People need to stop being, Uh, finding random people. So relatable. We talk about this all the time on the podcast, but, um, uh, what was your favorite part of the book to write? Um, I feel like a lot of people come to my rides because I have XOXO Cody, which is a ride at Peloton. It's mostly about like relationships and people sending me questions about their chaos. And I love like giving very brash uh, in your face commentary on their lives. So I really did enjoy that aspect of the life of, of that book, like having people sending me their questions and be able to respond. And I think just sharing my dating history in the book was a lot of fun. I feel like throughout the relationships I've had or the dating experiences I've had, I've really been able to like make a lot of rules and have found, uh, I don't know, a, a lane and a voice with that. So I, I really do. I really do enjoy that. I thought that it was lovely that you shared your dating history. And I also was like, knowing that you are currently still with Andres. Uh, uh-huh. I was like, it was, I was reading it. I was like, did this book get finished before they got back together or something? You know, because it, 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 was, did, it, it did. went through the well, breakup. And then yeah, the it went through the breakup and then we got back together. So before I had the final, no, before I even had the first draft <laughs> in, I was able to be like, okay, I need to shift gears a little bit and like <laughs> tell a little bit more of the story. Yeah. Um, what do you find that, you know, if you're giving relationship advice to people on Peloton, usually I feel like it's, is it largely to women? And I feel like, is there advice that you would give to gay men or your gay friends that you would find would be slightly different than what you would give to, you know, your average fan base? Well, I feel like I preach about being a hoe a lot, and I feel like that is mostly towards women. I feel like women in this in society, you know, patriarchy, misogyny, don't give permit get permission to be sluts. I don't 
I don't think I need to tell you two to be sluts. I have a Thank feeling you so much. you're pretty good at it. <laughs> yes, Thank you. Right, yeah. <laughs> you know, I, I, have a, I have a feeling you guys are pretty good at it. Um, I think when it comes to queer people, it's I I think most importantly, it is loving ourselves. I think we have a lot of barriers, uh, barriers to that. Um, and I think a really important thing that I feel like I talked about in the book was, was really prioritizing friendships and their opinions and like using those people as sounding boards. Sometimes I feel like we jump into relationships or dating someone. They're like, Oh my God, he's amazing. And I, I, there's nothing wrong with him. And we kind of put blindfolds on to the people that are important and their opinions towards the person that we're dating. Cause they're dating. If someone's dating me, they're dating me and my friends. And it's kind of, reciprocal there nothing is more mystifying to me than when somebody starts dating a guy this is among my gay friends and then that that guy doesn't gel with the rest of the friend group or whatever like i would be acutely aware if somebody i was dating didn't fit in with the people i spent all my time with what is that what is how do people get that wrong I feel like people are very digmatized or they're yeah. just like, he's hot. So like, <laughs> we're going to figure it out and we're not, and they're not going into the depth of it. It is like vital for someone I'm dating to get along and gel with my friends. And they're not easy. Like we're all quick. We're all, you know, a little bit shady. We're, we're, we throw them into the, to the sharks. And so if you can't gel with that, you're not going to be a good fit for, for me, but it's, it's, it's hard to like get to know someone's friends. I'm, I'm always up for the task. Like I, I'm coming in ready to literally slay any friend group. <laughs> I always do kind of wonder, though, you know, if there is some sort of middle between gay relationships where, you know, you have a new boyfriend and obviously if you go to the same parties, you have the same interests as your friends, like you're bringing them almost everywhere. And mm-hmm. then the other extreme of, you know, heteronormative relationships where, the their boyfriend you might see them like if you're having girls night at the house or something Mm -hmm. or if you're all having dinner or something together but he sort of has his own life and own friends too i feel like sometimes there are gays who have a boyfriend who maybe if you don't have the same interest as someone's friends you see them at birthday parties but they don't necessarily need to be around your life all the time i've told a friend of mine uh, I'm not going to name names because he listens to the show. Uh, Please do. But he is very, he is very into theater, you know, and he's a theater critic. And his boyfriend doesn't really love theater. Uh, mm-hmm. And my thing was, you know, you don't have to take him everywhere. <laughs> yeah, you no, know, I mean, like theater specifically, like that. Either you love it or you hate it. And I would hate to like uh, force someone through three hours of song and dance when they don't want to. And take free tickets away from your friends who were used exactly. to that before, you know? I, I feel like when you first start dating, they might go to one show just to be like, yeah, I'm, I'm trying to like court you and be nice. But I think it's a certain point, like, bitch, I'm not going. <laughs> you seem like somebody who has had very long-term gay friendships. What do you get yes. out of your specific friend group that is so, I, I would assume, vitalizing to your life? Yeah, I, I like my my friends are so like it's our chosen family. I think we we all moved to New York or bigger cities looking for, to feel like you can belong and like find your girls that you can do a multitude of things like travel, party, root for each other in in your careers. So I mean, I've had a lot of these these friendships for over a decade, and some have you know some have fallen to the wayside. I think that's natural. You you like lose you lose friendships, and that's okay. They're just like not part of part of your season right now or or they're ever coming back but um i think of my friend quentin 
don't know if you were, I don't know if he was here when you were, were here. I can't remember, but I, my friend Quentin, I've known for like 11, 12 years. We've lived together. We've, we used to dance together. He's like, li- like a literal brother to me. So I feel like he's also been my, my Sherpa into nightlife and gay social life and, and really helped me like find my stride here. I didn't feel like I felt like, I didn't feel like New York felt like home until I met Quentin. Mm. It, it goes underrated how much like gay people have to teach other gay people things like just like the, the basics yes. of going out or like, you know, preparing for gay sex or whatever. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, 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 a, and a lot of the girls haven't figured out the latter part oh yeah yet. no the, you know <laughs> education in this country as you know is a shambles so there are some holes if you will that's why you should be a hoe you learn exactly. more by yes. doing and you should wait till the water runs clear yes <laughs> well you know we learned that from charlie xcx so thank god, uh, thank god. A very very informative song and that's uh, called allyship <laughs> if there's one thing she is yeah uh-huh An ally. uh you talked about you know you met quentin because you were both dancers too uh mm-hmm. and i have to ask you you know you used to be a dancer you know for you've danced at the box where i've been uh-huh. to uh uh-huh. you dance for pop stars you yes. know, like, do you have fond memories of doing that? Or was it sort of like a nightmare being like, I'm dancing for Katy Perry. I'm dancing for Nicki Minaj. Like, did they make you eat bananas? I don't know. Like, what was the, <laughs> what, what was the tea there? There was none of that. We never got we, we never got close or worked with them enough to be in a banana and like pussy. Um, <laughs> No, uh, it was such a long time ago. I mean, I haven't danced in a decade, and a lot of that, a lot of that life was like so bittersweet. You're like so excited to be dancing for Katy Perry and Nicki Minaj, and you've been working so hard to get there, and it it comes and goes so quickly. But you also realize like what you're building is not for you; it's for somebody else, and maybe a a measly paycheck. Um, so it was a lot of fun, but I also, it's, it it also felt very toxic because you're putting your whole like validation yourself on someone else's opinion. If you're worthy of like working for them. Um, and sometimes I put a little too much weight into that validation. Um, I feel like I had to realize, like, I'm sure both of you kind of know this, maybe like in the casting process, you can be like the most talented, but sometimes you're just like, not the fit, like look wise or energy or they've got somebody else's friend that they want to work with so it was really hard to like separate those two if that makes sense no something that uh, always sticks with me is there's this uh in 2004 madonna released a tour documentary and she's auditioning dancers and then they leave the room or whatever and she says not in a super pejorative way it just like comes out of her mouth she goes man that is a dog's life and i was just thinking like (laughs) (laughs) she's just like Right. Yeah. These people are just waiting for a gig. And most of the time it has nothing to do with whether they are, quote unquote, good enough. If you've gotten into the room, you're probably good enough, you know. Mm-hmm. And that's that's how it feels. Mm-hmm. I mean, and sometimes you go just for the fun of it. I in college, my friends and I went to what Beyonce had. Op- oh, she had open call dances me, God. for like the B-Day experience. The full Monty. What is that? Uh, <laughs> Wait, so- for Beyonce? Beyonce, she had the no. I think it was the I Am World Tour at that point. Okay, um, but she had had like open, open dance calls in Chicago, and my friends, you know, in my like hip hop dance team uh, at the time, everyone was like, "Let's just all go up in the morning and wait in line." And the, I was never trying to be a dancer, so it was like, but it was fun 
being in that line and just sort of like taking in, you know, the whole like, God, I hope uh-huh. I get it sense of it. And it was very intense. Very intense. I mean, like my last audition, like one of my last big auditions was for JLo. And I remember just being like put through the ringer. And I was like, you know what, guys? I'm out. I'm good. I'm I'm going home. Thank you. Like, Did you I'm see out. her? Did you even get to she see was, her? Yes. She, she, it was just, I read about in the book. Like it was one of those things where I felt like I was getting used. Like I'd, I'd auditioned. Then we went to, we went from like Pearl Studios to uh, Alvin Ailey where there's like rehearsal going on, but the, art director slash choreographer was like playing games and not being like, you have the job. So I was there for like eight hours dancing in front of JLo eating an arugula and salmon salad. And then they go, <laughs> they go and, and then the guy's like, okay, we'll see you tomorrow. I'm like, okay, is, is, is like, when do we get contracts? He's like, oh no, we're still rehearsing. I was like, I, I gotta go. This is, this is too much. Like, and, and my friend who did that gig, he got a contract like a week later. So he worked a whole week without knowing if he was, in the show or not. I was, and I just started Peloton, so I was like, I'm out, I'm out, I'm out. They call the movie Hustlers for a reason, okay? They sure Get up do. and fucking dance, bitch. <laughs> yeah. That is fucking rough. Rough. I'm just loving the idea of her sitting there with a salmon and arugula salad, though. You know, just <laughs> chomping away, being J-Lo. Someone definitely made it for her. <laughs> <laughs> Cody Rigsby thinks J-Lo does not have motor skills and did not create that salad. <laughs> That's the scare headline I wrote myself. No, she has to have a very well-balanced <laughs> diet so she doesn't have to use Botox, allegedly. Uh, I, I mean, yes, we're all still trying to solve how she does it. She also says she doesn't drink. You know, she's always... I, I believe that. I believe that. Um, I know. I just One of my favorite things about her working out is like... Um, where was it? Maybe it was Thanksgiving Day or something. Like she just uploaded like an Instagram of her leaving the gym or something. It was very early in the morning. She was like, "R.I.P. to these calories." Oh. And that was just like the caption. Uh, it was the day after Thanksgiving, letting you know that mm. like I got up. I didn't. You didn't because you're because you're reading this in bed. <laughs> <laughs> Cody, thank you so much for being here. Uh, yeah. but the, the book, by the way, is a pure joy as you are uh, on Peloton, etc. So thank you for bringing that energy to uh, the page where you, you think I run, I know how to read. So thank you for, <laughs> for keeping us glued. As long as you know how to read at a third grade level, you're good. <laughs> <laughs> That's about it. So yeah. That's about it. Yeah. Uh, thank you, Cody. Thank you, boys, for having me. What a pleasure. It's been a delight. You know, riding bikes is scary to me, but, you know, the book, the book was much safer. So. <laughs> hey, I'm, glad, I'm glad you could find a, a safe space. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Picture this. You're on a John Deere compact tractor, enjoying the sun as you clear brush across your pasture. You just have to get in the seat. Learn more at johndeere.com slash get in the seat or visit a dealer near you. Hi, it's Martha Stewart. You know, I spend a lot of time thinking about dirt at 3 a.m. at all hours of the day, really. What people don't know is that not all dirt is the same. You need dirt with the right kind of nutrients. New miracle Grow organic raised bed and garden soil is so dense. 
so full of nutrient-rich, high-quality ingredients. miracle Grow is simply the best. I live by routines, especially my same-day delivery routine with Shipped. Because when Sunday rolls around, I'm not scared. I got my shopper on the way with all my favorites. Shipped. Delight in every delivery. Learn more at Shipped.com. After talking to Cody Rigsby, we decided to go down the spandex-clad road that is celebrity workout fads and videos. And which of them has stood the test of time? You know, workout tapes by Fonda, for mm-hmm. instance. But as Sir Mix-a-Lot taught me, Fonda ain't got a motor in the back of her Honda. <laughs> right. And as you know, he is nothing but a journalist. <laughs> Uh, fondest workout tapes starting with that did you if you've seen them obviously they're yes. fine also I mean they remain I think still among the best selling VHS's ever she basically revolutionized the idea of owning a, a home video cassette um, well what's interesting about her reign as workout goddess in the early 80s was it was still in the very prime of her being a movie star so she was mm. releasing those tapes as movies like On Golden Pond and Nine to five are coming out. So she basically, you know, in those days, people rarely mixed being a movie star and a TV star, period. Let alone, I'm going to be this available to you as a like a VHS star. So I think she kind of bridged a couple of worlds in a way that hadn't been um, done before. And also, it's just the way she looked. I mean, when you see her do a backflip in on Golden Pond into the water, you're like, all right, well, I want to be 43 and have the craziest tan of all time, too. How can I do it? And she's like putting your leg <laughs> over your head. And I I, I would have believed it myself. <laughs> it's interesting to think of Jane Fonda as this sort of pioneer in this realm, if only because you expect every celebrity, male or female now, to have their own either workout gear, if not a workout line or some sort of beauty regimen that they are selling you. And it's interesting to think of how that might dilute someone's brand now if it's not done properly. And how how do you think that that worked in tandem with Jane Fonda's brand at the time? Because she was winning, she was winning Oscars still. So right. I don't think it really affected her. And I didn't really get a sense of it from her documentary that we watched a few years ago, but uh, even how people would have perceived her then. Like, oh, here's Jane Fonda doing these workout videos, but also she's winning Oscars, so it's not like you can drag her for it. I think also at the time, though, it was still part of image rehab for her because she went through all of mm. these years where she was persona Hanoi non Jane stuff. Yes. And so like mm. when she came back to the spotlight with her quote-unquote issues movies that she was a producer at the time, she would pick these projects and do them like Coming Home and The China Syndrome, whatever. That was her returning to like the four in America, returning to honestly palatability in a certain way. And so to... I think this was a good and masterful move to remind people like, oh, I'm I'm still like all American Jane Fonda, daughter of Henry in a way, you know, which is, of course, what we got out of on Golden Pond, too. But this being like, oh, I have to work out and keep up with the time. You know, I, I have to keep up with my health just like everybody else does. I'm aging, too. You know, so I think it really established her as a relatable celebrity again. Yeah. I mean, even to take it back to our Bob Barker, Barker's Beauty conversation, right? You know. 
she, I remember seeing the infomercials airing for Jane Fonda's workout videos long after she would have been doing them. Yeah, obviously, but they were they were still in heavy rotation. And obviously, the Sir Mixalox on Baby Got Back references it. So I knew about it in the '90s, and it's just interesting seeing that that has really shaped our as younger generations' perceptions of who Jane Fonda was. And right. it's really only older people who remember the sort of Vietnam era and also the and idea Megan that Kelly. You know, she had yes. to, yeah <laughs> who, who is a thousand years old to be care to be fair yes I mean like all Gorgons yes I mean that bitch was in Dracula's basement okay she was one of the three <laughs> she was one of the she was one of the three <laughs> Jonathan um I think that even the idea that she was Henry's daughter you know growing right. up I didn't know who the fuck Henry Fonda was mm-hmm. until I went to film school right right uh, I will say I had this realization recently, speaking of famous workout tapes. Absolutely no doubt in my mind that someone will win a Best Actor Oscar for playing Richard Simmons. Absolutely no. I, if I could be sure of one thing in this life, it is that that will happen. And I also am positive that the actor who plays him will not be gay. Now, what's interesting about that is it's not like Richard Simmons has ever, quote unquote, come out. And I'm not saying I have any evidence that he is gay. That said... What a character. And also, when that podcast about him came out a couple years ago, it was really illuminating that everybody was touched by this man. Like, his energy, the original Cody Rigsby, if you will, um, Mm -hmm. his sheer, I would guess I would call it vulnerability in a way, how he was just like, it was all about having a ton of energy and working out together, and but otherwise not having vanity. You know, so I I don't know what that is, but I feel like we will commemorate that on film after a certain point, probably after he's dead. I assume he's cagey about his life rights since it hasn't happened yet. I would be heavily invested in that because I remember when that podcast dropped, not just the idea that we were all touched and moved by him, the idea that he was still a celebrity who existed within our public consciousness, even if we hadn't been thinking of him him. every day. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, vanished, just missing. You know, it was called Finding Richard Simmons. So, but going back and looking at those clips, yeah, it's definitely from a period of television where you could have someone on TV being gay as all get out. Yeah. And yet we would still not call them gay. Totally. He is totally that kind of celebrity where it was just like, he's exuberant, you know, and so coordinated. (laughs) And we didn't have a word for that because we live in, you know, uh, Lamont, Illinois, where I'm from, and we've never heard of gay people. Which is nice, referring to him as the Cody Rigsby prototype, that we have now gotten to the era where someone like that can be open about who they're dating with the people who are consuming their content. Yes. You know? Right, right. Those videos, by the way, slap. When you watch Sweat Into the Oldies, you're like, wow, yes. I am absolutely <laughs> stepping to On Broadway by George Benson or uh, but- Martha and the Vandellas or whatever. Those commercials were also on in the middle of the totally. night alongside Tybo with Billy Blanks. Uh, he's hot as hell. And I remember those commercials always aired at night. Oh, yes. Oh, please. That was the gym class for me growing up. Uh, you would do Tybo, maybe even to the Drops of Jupiter song mentioning Tybo. Um, and <laughs> shout out, yeah, to my uh, uh, high school, very fit gym teacher, Diane Stateman. 
Now, sometimes I always confuse them because they're both bald uh, black men who do workouts and from that same era. But do you also remember Sean T from P90X? Right. Uh, those workouts, which was basically, I feel like, a generation's introduction to hit workouts. Correct. Correct. Yeah. That, and yeah. now we're. Well, he's we're gay. At- oh, he is. Yeah. So check out his Instagram. It is. He is just always posting pics of him and his hot boyfriend. Okay. Thank God. All right. P90XXX. I'd like to see it. (laughs) I remember doing like P90X in my room, stealing my grandmother's tape. And I was like, this is a lot. (laughs) I hate sweating in my home. I'm shocked people like working out at home. Yeah. So I feel like a Billy Blake's limited series would be very good. I don't know if his life was as traumatic enough to warrant a film in the way of a Richard Simmons. Although I feel like we're destined for a Oscar winning Richard Simmons film. And then also a very shitty lifetime Richard Simmons film that comes out around the same time. Oh, I would love to see that. Obviously I, and so I I contain multitudes. I want to see both. (laughs) (laughs) And so who plays him in both? Oh God, that's so hard. I mean, like, I mean like Taron Egerton, he didn't get the Oscar Mm. nom with, Elton John, could he feasibly go back and do Richard Simmons and and you know dip uh, dip his toes back into the uh, queer and flashy realm? Yes, well, much like Richard Simmons, he also does have a nebulous personal life. <laughs> right, 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 right. Yeah, you, I've, uh, I've told you my favorite I, tongue twister of all time. Right, um, whenever Taron no. Egerton comes up, I have to go Joel Egerton, Taron Egerton, Gemma Arterton. I have to do it every time, every time. <laughs> Try it at home. My friend's favorite one that I've heard recently is Gideon Glick had his book release party <laughs> at the cock. <laughs> what? That is so Henry Higgins. Oh my God, that's so funny. At the cock, at the- mind you. <laughs> Gideon Glick. He really does have like a Susical name. Yeah. And so now you have current celebrities who have their own clothing lines. There's Fabletics. Yes. I have a couple other uh, things. Uh, cute clothes. But shout out to Kate Hudson for being so successful with Fabletics, but also still loving to act. Yes. She's like, all right, I'll do the Knives Out movie. Great. She's like, I'm yeah. an Oscar nominee. I'm going to act like it. Gwyneth, we're looking at you. What's happening? <laughs> <laughs> give us something. The talented give, give Miss Paltrow, one, come back. I know. Just one little morsel. And I don't mean just a Ryan Murphy show. I mean, I want a film where Gwyneth Paltrow is in it and she just skates right to at least a nomination, if not another Oscar win, because I know she has it in her. No, she has one nomination, one win, which of course is very clean, and I love that for her. But you know, let's <laughs> even just to supporting something, do the Sally Field and Lincoln thing. Just give us a couple of strong scenes, you'll be on your way. I'm telling you, it's three days of work. By the way, I'm like her agent now. Mm. Okay. <laughs> I feel like the other celebrity workout thing truly is. You, they just like to put themselves working out on Instagram. I was going to say, Chris that's Hemsworth the new, loves so doing that. Everybody will like plank for 10 minutes on Instagram. Like I, I know like what Busy Phillips' <laughs> forearms look like. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. <laughs> you could truly feel the sweat coming through the screen on the Instagram lives when she would be working out. And yes. I feel like so many celebrities just sort of do that now. Mm-hmm. It makes them relatable. Working out makes people relatable, which is very 
it, it's it's weird because it, it's it's either relatable to people who work out all the time or it's aspirational to people who feel like they want to work out more. Right, 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 right. And at the same, I think there's rarely a celebrity who's working out where you think like, oh, they're doing it wrong or something. So you're kind like when you see a celebrity working out, you're like, they have advanced knowledge I don't have. There, there's, I think even to people who are sophisticated with exercise, there is something aspirational to it because you're like, well, they've got access to some world of intel that's really mm-hmm. expensive or strange or rarefied, you know. Except for my, except for my Leo Queen, J-Lo, who we brought up with Cody. I, it, there is no aspiration in her workouts or seeing her in workout gear. I see an Instagram of J-Lo and I just think of that Monique quote, and them fat bitches will burn in hell. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you J- can't be me. And that, and that is the, that is the J-Lo brand. You can't be her. She doesn't want you to be her. She doesn't want you to relate to her too much. Yeah. Or even understand how she does it. Right. Mm-hmm. The, the, yeah. no, I, I don't know how she does it too. No, also, it's, I mean, it's like the track lighting, not to sound like Olympia Dukakis and uh, Steel Magnolias, but just how is she even lit from within all the time? There's lots we'll never understand about J-Lo. Is there a celebrity who you feel like maybe you sort of wish we had their workout routine? I feel like maybe Keep It listeners want Lewis's now. Look at him these days. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, I have no patience to work out by myself. I always have to have somebody screaming at me. So I have no tips. I literally am constantly mainlining <laughs> the tips of other people. Um, if there, is there a celebrity I'd like to know? I mean, not really. I will say this. I find the culture of needing the workout routines of other people on Instagram to be a little, I mean, I guess the word is toxic because I always feel like their angle is you're doing it wrong. Listen to me. And I feel like there's like Mm -hmm. a shame based element to how we get people to pay attention to certain people on, um, uh, certain people in regards to exercise. For instance, I know this one guy who's a trainer and he went to a, a very famous, uh, uh, chain of, of H I I T high, intensity interval training classes and he goes well i finally did that and let me tell you that they were terrible or something it's like it always feels like they have to come at it with an angle of some people are doing it wrong but i'm not doing it wrong Mm. and i just feel like you never know who's an actual authority on these things so i get a little testy about um how uh everybody's angle when they're teaching exercise to people on instagram is um well you're whatever you're doing isn't enough and only with me and my nutrition and my exercise will you succeed i don't know i just find it kind of gross listen the only thing i know is that like angela bassett oh you gotta eat love the ezekiel that bread yes no you gotta eat the ezekiel bread <laughs> <laughs> when, she, when she said uh she goes you can eat right through any exercise routine that hurt i knew she was right also that woman is fucking sharp as a tack i i would listen to her on anything it was when she was being interviewed for mission impossible it was Monday, Tuesday, I may eat carbs, fruit, Tuesday, Wednesday, protein, veggies, veggies every day, no fats those four days, and then the last three days, I flood it with fat. Good fat, though. Maybe coconut oil, salmon, almonds, almond butter, you know, olive oil, that sort of thing. I don't do any dairy, all right? I don't do any bread flour. I'll do Ezekiel bread, which is sprouted. I mean, that's that should be the new... <laughs> You know that the McDonald's song, like two all beef patty special sauce? Like, we should put this to a jingle. <laughs> all right. Well, when we're back, it's time for Keep It. And we are back with our favorite segment of the episode 
It's keep it. Lewis, what are you keeping this week? I'm going to keep it to the supposed greatest cameo of our generation. Keep it to Kim Cattrall coming on and just like that. I'm sorry. I saw like half of Twitter say things like, and for once, the girls are all back together just for a minute. And it was perfect. Name one thing that was perfect about this. First of all, they were not back together. Kim Cattrall was on a soundstage in like Windsor, Ontario or something. Second of all, uh, honestly, it just was not a strong performance from Kim. The cameo lasted about a minute and 10 seconds or so. She gets on the phone with Carrie to say she can't make it to her apartment send-off. She's supposed to fly in for it from Europe. And... What honestly approved on the phone, this back and forth between Sarah Jessica Parker and Kim Cattrall, who, of course, the part of the conditions of Kim coming back to the show is she didn't have to speak to anybody involved. The only person she spoke with was Pat Field, who outfitted her, I guess, for this segment. Sarah, so she did look good. She looked pretty good. Sarah so handily outacted her. I mean, it was kind of a joke. Uh, That's what I took from that scene. Uh, And then, of course, I completely forgot the scene because later we were awash in a seven minute sex montage of every character from the show. And I now know everything (laughs) about every character on the show. Libidinously. Do you remember that they opened the season with a long sex montage too? And I'm like, who in the writer's room was really feeling themselves being like, we are book ending the Michael Patrick Kate. We are book ending the season with sex because it's sex and the city still. Congrats it to everybody stressful. involved. Yes, right, right, right. It was, it, was, it's a stress, it was a stressful scene to watch. And also, I hated the cameo, too. I was making jokes, obviously, because it became a meme of her clutching her phone to her chest, just smiling. But it made no fucking sense. Because, one, you haven't talked to this bitch all last year. You're avoiding her phone calls. And then, all of a sudden, you're going to surprise her by showing up to see her for a dinner party that for some reason she is still inexplicably hosting in this studio apartment when she just bought a million dollar home, right. a multi-million dollar home. Also your husband had millions and died girl. This, it was tacky having that dinner <laughs> yeah, right. in the apartment for one two. Samantha was tacky too. Like maybe they fixed things during the moment where they had that meeting in Paris between season one and season two or whatever, or at the end of season one. But I don't know, like calling someone to be like, I was going to come and surprise you at this dinner, but Very my flight's delayed, so I'm turning around. It, it felt, it just felt, yeah, it felt shoehorned in. It felt very lazy. It felt very unplanned out. It felt like an afterthought. It felt like Three's company. It felt stuff. like Suzanne yeah. Summers calling in from whatever booth she was allowed to be in while the she was having these disputes with the producers or whatever and with Joyce DeWitt. Um, Speaking yeah. of celebrity workouts. Yeah. Oh, how did we not bring up the thigh master? Come on. Yeah. Uh, the, the thigh master was omnipresent in my home growing up. It was just always sitting over there in the corner. And also a hilarious name. Like, I need something to master my thighs. Please, God. <laughs> it, it was just another in a long line of inexplicable decisions on the show, which was funny because... The, you watch you you watch the show because it's awful. I was talk I was on a date with someone last week and talking about this show, and they said I seem to get they've never watched Sex in the City. They were like I've seen to get that people say Sex in the City is a great show. You should watch it. People say that, and just like that is 
one of the worst shows ever made, but they can't stop watching it. There is an amazing Esquire article from Dave Holmes, one of my favorite writers, who I can't believe has not been on Keep It yet, about this particular feeling within Just Like That, how it's disastrous in certain ways, and yet... He's, I think the title of the article is, and I will watch this show for the rest of my days. There's like, people are committed yeah. to the uncomfortable, strange, uh, 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 almost dystopian sex in the city vibe it delivers. The Kim Cattrall thing honestly pales in comparison to the previous episode and how they wrote out Stanford. He decided to become a monk in Japan. No, he didn't. Yes, what? he became a monk in Japan, and that's how he left the series. Discussing, like, he wrote a letter to uh, Anthony that Carrie read for him, and it was it was stems from <laughs> it stems from the fact that after the reviews were so abysmal for Sex and the City two, Michael Patrick King and Sarah Jessica Parker went to Japan and went, you know, on this sort of like. Um, retreat, and that's how he got in his head the idea to make Stanford a monk because apparently Willie Garson had requested don't kill me on the show. But I think that there are a myriad of ways to write out a character than to have that happen to them because none of that makes any fucking sense. No, I mean, that's how you write out a, a, a very problematic actor on a soap or something. I mean, it's very strange. I mean, Willie Garson, yeah. of, of course, much beloved. Uh, Ira, yes. what is your uh, keep it this week? So my keep it. Oh, I have the feeling this is about me somehow. Go ahead. This keep it goes <laughs> to my co-host, Louis Vertel. Oh, I me, okay. Saturday at 8:58 p.m., I took a screenshot. <laughs> oh my god, am I Instagram going to jail? That you what posted. Okay. You put your dirty ass shoes up on your couch like that and the pillow. Where is your home training? I okay. here's what happened. So, you know, I'm obsessed with the old movie star Tyrone Power. He's in the original Nightmare Alley. He's in in old Chicago. Lots of interesting old movies. Uh, uh, Witness for the Prosecution. That's my favorite one of his. I have a poster of him in my living room. It's gorgeous. I posted a picture where I have I'm on my couch and you see my I'm, I'm wearing shoes and they're up on. A, a, a velvet pillow I have here. A couple of things. Gym are, shoes. Okay. A couple of things are occurring here. One, I actually hate the fucking pillow. I, my interior <laughs> designer, my interior designer picked this color for me and it's a little too primary red for me. It's giving Harlequin romance. I don't need to see that pillow. Um, mm. It's like the color of a red in a deck of cards. Just don't like mm-hmm. it. Secondly, I relax how I want to relax. Uh, you, ever, you, ever, you ever enjoy <laughs> leisure? You ever enjoy frivolity? <laughs> That's me hanging out with Tyrone Power people, in my house. You probably let people sit on the edge of your bed in their outside clothes, don't you? No. Uh, first of all, I barely, I almost never let people in my oh, house. Oh, wait, that's right. You don't let, famously, Lewis does not let anyone into his house. I don't think, I'm thinking of all of my best friends. <laughs> Two of them have seen my place before. Yeah. Um, th- okay, you know what? That's fair. If it's just you, the germs are yours. Right. Right, right, right. And also, by the way, yeah. my shoes are relatively new, so I bet they're kind of germ-free. Um, if you're concerned about germs, which is a whole new fucking angle on you. I had no idea germs were your thing. <laughs> I'm Adrian Monk, okay? Uh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I met no, him I very just... <laughs> briefly backstage at the Emmys when we were, I was producing something for Guillermo for Kimmel. What a nice man. And also his lovely I- wife, Brooke Adams, from um, The Dead Zone. 
mm-hmm. always nice to see her when she's around. I met him because he was st- when I used to live in LA when he was standing in the only available parking spot at Hugo's, and I had to lean in my, out of my car and say, "Hi, would you mind moving?" Because he was having a conversation with someone. I'm like, "Listen, Tony Shalhoub." Yeah. Tony shuffle off. So <laughs> OCD uh, yourself out of the fucking parking space, bitch. Anyway, that was my keep it. Okay, got it. Uh I appreciate that you are staying vigilant about my Instagram and what I put out there into the yeah. world. Yeah, you know. I <laughs> I'm not going to I'm not going to be like the um strange gays who com- other who comment on your Instagram. It's like, why is Lewis always at a pool and a speed up? Would you prefer me there in tails? Uh, I mean, it's summer no, in LA. We like it. We're trying to have a good time. That's the, con- that's the content that we want. That's not the not the Lewis needs. You know, a super nanny um, <laughs> content. <laughs> God, I miss her. Super nanny was the best show. She you really were in a had crisis. it all. I'm yeah. on my way. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I should be in the naughty she- corner for that picture. Yes. Honestly, super nanny was doing it better than Marie Kondo. You know, please. No, she basically suggested uh, if kids don't bring you joy, put them in the corner. Yeah. (laughs) All right. That's our show this week. Shout out to Cody Rigsby. What a doll for being here. And uh, we will see you next week. Keep It is a Crooked Media production. Our senior producer is Kendra James. Our producer is Chris Lord. And our associate producer is Malcolm Whitfield. Our executive producers are Ira Madison III and Louis Vertel. This episode was recorded and mixed by Evan Sutton. Thank you to our digital team, Megan Patzel and Rachel Gajewski, and to Matt DeGroote and David Tolls for production support every week. And as always, Keep It is recorded in front of a live studio audience. I live by routines, but I especially love my same-day delivery routine with Shipped. And my shopper knows this about me. When Sunday rolls around and I place my weekly stock-up order, Joe sends texts from the aisles. Wilted lettuce? Nah, hard pass. Deal on my favorite sparkling water? Whew, grab two. Fresh flowers just because? Hmm, sounds like a delightful idea. If you love routines that work for you, get Shipped same-day delivery. Shipped. Delight in every delivery. Learn more at ship.com slash high. On this episode of Plant Killers, we'll explore one nation's most notorious fruit and vegetable killer, bad dirt. What makes bad dirt so bad? The answer, the ingredients. But fear not, true crime enthusiasts. This story has a happy ending. New miracle Grow organic raised bed in garden soil. It's made with quality organic ingredients from upcycled green waste like compost and aged bark. Unlike the other guys who can't say the same. Looks like bad dirt's murdering days are over. Thanks to miracle Grow. Join us next time on Plant Killers.